This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everybody watching online. God is good. He's on the move. And we thank you, everyone, for hosting Hannah and myself so beautifully this weekend. It's been a joy to be with you at Catch the Fire for the Women's Experience. And didn't we have an experience? God was on the move. If you weren't able to make it... um, You know, um, I know it was recorded online, so there's plenty for you to to get your teeth into, but all the the speakers and the ministry was just quality. We are blessed. And um, I come to you as a church leader. We have got a Catch the Fire church in Raleigh, Durham. We moved there 13 years ago, and we were part of the Toronto church where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place in 1994. We were on John and Carol Arnott's team, and we basically squeezed them for all their juices for eight years. And during that time, they raised us up, they poured into us, we got healing, we got filled with the Holy Spirit, and we got opportunities to travel to the nations and also to disciple young people in Toronto. We did a whole bunch of things. And how many of you know that God is always moving, his kingdom's always expanding and moving forward, and we're moving with him. And if you feel uncomfortable with a move of God, then you need to ask God to look into your heart because he is moving us to another level. He is taking us to another level of glory, and he, at that point after eight years, says, I'm going to send you to the USA, to the south. Wow, North Carolina. We got any Southerners in the room here? Any Southerners? Wow. One. Okay, yay. Where are you from? Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Well, I'm learning how to be a North Carolinian. And I became American. God called us to this land and told us this was going to be a land of inheritance for us and our family. And so we've become American. I haven't got a shotgun yet, and um, that might be good news to some of you and not so good news to others, but we're not going to go there because we love this nation, and I love what God is doing in this nation and the people, groups from all over the nations of the world that he has brought to this nation that they may find him and know him. And so his kingdom is moving, and we came to start a church, and All we knew was that God was with us and he called us to go and we moved with him. And I just want to speak into that. I feel like you are on the move as a church here. Catch the fire boulder. God is on the move, Stephen Christie. I am so excited what God is doing and I love this family. And I just thank you for all your team, all the team that hosted us this weekend all the team behind the scenes, the young people, the older people, the worship team, we have been so blessed. And I have just felt so much love and family in this room. And this is a unique place of the love of God through family being expressed. 
And I don't want you to take it for granted, but I want you to begin to see that this is a love gift to Boulder and to Colorado, that you together, we are the body of Christ. We experience his love individually, but we experience his love and his power when we come together corporately. And he wants to do something for this area that's going to change the course of the spiritual history. And yesterday afternoon, Christy took myself and Hannah up to the Flatiron foothills, and we had a little walk in the hills. And when we were there, suddenly this breeze, this rushing breeze came across it. I mean, it was very refreshing, cooling. And, and Christy said, look, you can see all the pollen being shaken off the trees, and there was like a green film. And we get that horrible pollen in April time in North Carolina, and our cars are covered in green, and you have to kind of get the hose out and wash down your deck and your patios and your furniture, and you have to remove this pollen. But I saw in the Spirit that the Holy Spirit was shaking off the pollen of his sleeping church and of his, his children that haven't seen him fully yet for who he is, the ones that have been in darkness. And I saw that the Holy Spirit was going to blow through this valley and brush off the dust, remove the blinders. And he's calling you as a church to get ready in your hearts for expansion. And not just numerical expansion, but it's time for each of you to see that even if you don't have much, you can give love to those around you. And I see that this is a safe place for people to see the love of God in action, what family really looks like, what redeemed relationships look like. And, and so we declare over this church that you will make room for the lost sons and daughters. And there are people that are really lost that don't know Jesus. And I see that there's going to be an acceleration of harvest. And they're going to, the young and the old are going to come into family. And so we declare that each of you is anointed. Can you say that over yourself? I am anointed to bring the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. We are in a season of Luke 4.18 when that has come to pass. And there's, I don't know if any of you heard that there was a prophecy that was released a couple of years ago that when the prince died... And Prince Philip from England just passed away that there would be a rising up of the Luke 14 mandate that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to preach good news. And so I say, get ready. Get ready for those lost sons and daughters. They're coming in and you're going to be the ones that are going to lead them to Jesus. So get ready. And I'm excited for this season. Well, this morning, we're going to talk on maturing in our sonship. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have called us and you have chosen us into your beautiful family. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Come and fill our hearts. Come and reveal your truth to us. We ask for revelation that we would go from one degree of glory to another in your great love that we know who you've called us to be as sons and daughters in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
You know that the Trinity have been before the foundation of the world. We're in this union and dance of love and fellowship and preference for one another. The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. The, the Holy Spirit flowing between the love of the lover and the beloved together in this dance of love. And the beautiful thing is that the Father saw each of us in his gaze. And that's where the lost children, they don't know that the Father saw them and knew them before the foundation of the world and saw them before they were um, conceived in their mother's womb. That's why life is so precious at conception because actually conception is the revelation and the manifestation of what the Father saw over every person that was born and thought of in his eye. And he has chosen that we would be brought into this family, this community of love, this gathering where the Father and the Son reveal themselves in a way and share themselves with us in Jesus himself. You know, Jesus prayed that unity prayer in John 17, verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, we have to get a revelation that we've been put into Christ, that we've been born again of the Spirit of God, and we've come into that family, that communion. We're not on the outside. We're one spirit with him, as Corinthians says. We are one spirit, and he's given us the same rights of belonging as Jesus did, the Father has. And in verse 23, it says, the same glory you gave me, I gave them. The same glory that Jesus was given when he prayed, he gave that to us. We are the many sons in glory. We're the many sons who were led to his glory. Do you know that when Jesus died and we were born again and we said yes to Jesus, we were given everything. We went from nothing to everything, and we were led into a, an experience of glory. And we continue to be led into a spirit of glory, a revelation. And that's where maturity is, that we begin to recognize and appropriate everything that Jesus has done for us. It says that they may be unified together as we are, I in them and you in me. And then this is what the message says. Then they will be mature in this oneness. We have been made one in Christ. We're one spirit with him. But we have to mature and live in that revelation. We can know it in our head, but are we beginning to experience what that manifestation really looks like in our life? He says that they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. You have been given the same thing that Jesus was given. We've been brought into his family. He's our big brother. Jesus is our big brother. And God loves us exactly the same. You see, you've been given everything. Paul says in Philippines, verse three, chapter 3, 
He said, I pray that I may know him, verse 10, and the power, the dynamite, the dunamis of his resurrection, not just a no in our head, but no in our hearts, no in our experience, that we may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection. So we know in our life what it means to suffer and lay things down, but we know how to live in the place of resurrection where he raises us up in our, our dreams and, and those things that we've laid down and given to him. We give him everything and he gives us even more. Not that I've already obtained this or, or already perfect, he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. How many of us are pressing on saying, I'm not satisfied. I want more. I want a fuller understanding. I want a fuller revelation. I want a fuller experience of all that you've given me, all the inheritance of Christ, all that resurrection power in me. I still haven't seen what that really looks like. And, and as Paul says, I press on to attain it. There's something in our spirits that makes us bold and tenacious to say, I'm not satisfied with my little experience of my Christian life. I'm not satisfied that I'm hearing enough. I'm not satisfied that I'm seeing enough miracles. I'm not satisfied that I'm being bold like Jesus did. We have to want it. We have to want to grow into maturity. Children grow up, but they don't always mature, right? And, you know, when children become teenagers, I've had three of them, they want all the privileges of being a grown-up, but they want very few responsibilities. We know that because they don't want to clean their room. They don't want to pay the bills. They don't want to load the dishwasher. You know, it feels sometimes that you're always training them to take on the responsibility. And so we always taught our daughters... If you want the privilege of me treating you grown up, then you need to have the responsibility. You need to go and get an oil change on your car. You need to make an appointment with whoever, you know? And, and so this is how we are sometimes. We want all the privileges of being mature sons and daughters that God can trust, that he can flow through. But do we want the responsibility of actually pressing in for that? 1 Corinthians 2.21 says, Paul says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are in Christ and Christ is in all. He has given you all things. All things are attainable. And so I want to look at these four stages of maturity. And the first foundational level is sonship. Sonship itself is the first stage. You see, sonship is given to us when we are born again. We go from being children to being called sons. And in the ancient um, Israelite and Jewish tradition, you were a child until you became of, of age, 
at the age of 12, 13, you go through what we know as a bar mitzvah now, but that ceremony was actually a coming of age. So you went from being a child to a son. So it was like you were given over to an apprentice, a rabbi, a teacher, until the time came that you were going to be given that marker in the sand that you are now a son. You see, before we are born again, we are children. But until we allow the work of the Spirit to come into our lives and accept Jesus, we don't become sons. So when we're born again, we are given the spirit of sonship. Galatians 4 says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart that calls out Abba. There's like suddenly you're awakened to the, the, the promise that you are now a son of promise. You've been adopted. You're no longer a slave or a child. But God has now made you an heir. So there's something in that Jewish tradition that a child is trained. And that word that talks about the Holy Spirit coming, the paraclete, he's the helper. He's the, the teacher that is actually sent to um, bring us to a place of maturity. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption that allows us to cry out Abba. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings that spirit of adoption to us. But the, he comes as a paraclete, as a helper. And in the Jewish tradition, boys were given like a mentor, a rabbi or whoever, a teacher of the law, to mature them, to prepare them for the day that they're going to be fully sons. And you see, the Holy Spirit comes and does that. And he, re he reminds us of all that he's told us. He reminds us that he's called us to be heirs. He, he reminds us that we're no longer children, but we're actually being prepared for something in his kingdom. And we're all sons through faith. That is the faith. Galatians 3.26. In Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. It's nothing that we've done in our own effort, is it? Because Jesus has already done it all. We don't have to strive for an identity as a son now. Because we've put our faith in Jesus and therefore he has given it. He is revealing what sonship looks like. That we're no longer slaves or orphans. And his Holy Spirit reminds us of who he's called us. That is the maturing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So that's the first stage of maturity, sonship. You go from being a child to a son when you're born again. Can you remember that? Sonship. The next stage is friendship. We have an invitation to friendship. You see, when I was my mum and dad's child, I was their child. I was their daughter. You know, everything was provided for me, thankfully. I had food, I had shelter, I, I had opportunities. I had parents that loved Jesus. But you see, I had to make a choice as, as, as to whether I was going to become their friend when I grew up. Am I going to just see them as a provider or am I going to transition and actually enter into a friendship? 
You see, the father is looking for sons, and we're all sons because sons were given the firstborn inheritance. So if I refer to you daughters as sons, it's not a gender thing. It's actually about God sees each of you, whether male or female, as receiving a full inheritance. And an inheritance you don't have to work for. It's given. You just receive it and open your bank account and access it, right? And, you know, often inheritances are given when somebody dies. Guess what? Jesus died so that you could have an inheritance for today. It's not something we're waiting for when we get to heaven. You know, we are born again and we are going to heaven one day. We're going to pass through that thin place into glory. But we actually can experience a part of heaven on earth as we live here. It's not the fullness and no way is it complete. But he allows us to access our inheritance right now while we're still alive. Isn't that wonderful? It says in Psalm 25:14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant, his promise. The Lord confides in those who fear him. That's what the NIV says to that verse. The Lord confides. You know, friends confide in one another. Husbands and wives, we confide in one another. We share things that we wouldn't share with anyone else. That's the kind of friendship that Jesus is calling us into, that we would confide in him and he would reveal his secrets to us. He would make his covenant known. His, we'd get that assurance of what he's called and promised us to do. And James 2 says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He put his faith in him. That's in James 2. And he was called God's friend. You know, he was called God's friend because he believed God. That's a sign of our maturity that we grow from just waiting for mom and dad to provide everything to like, I trust you. I want to have a friendship. I want to walk daily with you like Adam and Eve in the garden. I want to know what that friendship was really designed to be. But I want to be known as your friend, God. Wouldn't you like that to be said on your tombstone that you were a friend of God? That's just, that would be such an honor to be known as a friend of God. And, and God reveals his secrets to his friends. John 15, 12, verse 12. I touched on this this weekend. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love, and this was Jesus speaking, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus was with his disciples and says, you are my friends if you do what I command you to do. So friendship requires faith, but it requires obedience to him. You know, there's something where we're willing to let go of what we want to do and trust that he's leading us by faith into great things 
but we're willing to lay down our agendas and obey him. That's the kind of friend he's looking for. Because no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Everything that Jesus heard and was revealed by his father when he lived on the earth, he's saying, I'm now revealing it to you. Wow. Wow. Who's ready for that? Who's ready for Jesus to reveal all that the father is showing him to you? Not just me as the preacher, not just Stephen Christie as the pastor, but to you, each of you. Each of you, he's calling you. He wants to be your friend. And you know, so often when we were at school, we got so much hurt because nobody wanted to be my friend. You know, it's interesting that that's one of the attacks of the enemy on our life as a young child is that we struggle to know who our friends and who we can identify with. And I remember as a teenager, for those of you who are teenagers, I loved Jesus and I was in a, a, a school, a public school, where people didn't really know Jesus. And they used to swear around me and do all sorts of things, party. And I just would say, no, I don't want to do that. And I remember some of the girls laughing at me because I was, you know, one of these religious people. And they used to poke fun at me. And I remember saying, Jesus, I'm glad you're my friend. You know, these, these people don't understand me. They don't understand why I don't want to date the, these, these guys. Why don't you want to date this guy? He likes you. And I chose that Jesus would be my friend. And I got persecuted as a result of that. But I am ever so glad that I understood at that young age that Jesus wanted to be my friend. And I feel like I'm speaking to somebody here in the room. If you're feeling sad because you don't have any friends or a friend has deserted you for somebody else as their best friend, Jesus wants to be your best friend. The Holy Spirit wants to be your best friend. And he's got such an exciting journey for you. And I just speak that over you, that you will never be rocked by that. You see, Jesus said, I've called you friends. You see, Jesus laid down his life and that act of he became a servant of all. And he demonstrated his love by washing his disciples' feet. You see, Jesus was known as their teacher. He was the Messiah. He was God, but he came in the flesh and actually showed his disciples what laying down his life was all about. And he served them by washing their feet. And he actually said, go and do likewise. Go and do the same thing. John 13, he said, and he said to them, do you understand what I did to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and that's right. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He was given us the key, for I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done. You see, Jesus 
was the king of the Jews. He was the king of kings being revealed. But he chose never to use that throne for his own glory, but came as a servant to, to, to care, to show the love of God, the love of the Father. He went out of his way to heal people. He spent hours with them. He, he went after those that were oppressed. And you see, I've, I see that the Holy Spirit wants to do so much in us that he takes us lower and he takes us out. And we should be willing to go lower and we should go out. And that's the word of the Lord for you as a church, that as you've received all that God wants to give you, he says, I want you to serve my love on the world. I want you to serve my love on those that you work with, with your neighbors, with your coffee baristas that are blatantly displaying their flags of honor. I won't say any more about that. You know, that they're proud of something other than Jesus. They're proud of an identity that is not in that sonship. They don't understand that, you know, they don't have to be aggressive. But you can come in lower still and just serve. Not trying to convince them with your persuasive words, but by a demonstration of the love of Jesus to them. To be the ones that just, you know, gets on your knees and says, how can I serve you? How can I help you? You see, that's what we're being called to at this hour. We don't want to win arguments in the world. We don't want to win political arguments or whatever. We come with another law, a law of servant, a law of serving. You see, it's the greatest privilege where our friendship takes us to a place where Jesus can trust us to go and do the same. Yeah. Yeah. You see, Philippians says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You see, pride says, I'm significant. You need to serve me. But humility says, how can I help you? How can I serve you? Let each of you not look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And we need Jesus to help us become like him. We need the Spirit of God. It's not always easy, is it? To put Others' needs before yourself. Those who are married, understand that. Those that have got children, understand that. But Jesus is saying, I want, I want to show you something different. The third stage of maturity is colleagueship. Being a colleague with God. Being a co-worker. You know, you're a co-heir with Christ. You're also his colleague yeah, you're a co-laborer with Christ. Think of all those co-words. It's communion together. We're doing this together. So we're not just on our own. We're with him. He's with us. He's called us to be with us. You see John 5, 17, that Jesus said, my father is working until now and I am working. You know, work is a gift. Your jobs, your career is a gift to you. And the Lord wants you to see it as a gift. 
and not a chore and a curse? You know, he's called you eight hours a day, five days a week, six days a week, because he wants to come into your workplace. He wants to work with you. My husband, Duncan, learned a, a very important lesson many years ago when he was working with his family on the farm. And they said to him, we want you to train to become the farm manager for the family because they have land in England and a, a working farm. And he's thinking, great. So he gets this job. And I was telling the ladies and, you know, his, his job was, um, it was a bit of an apprenticeship. And his uncle said, you're going to sweep the barns every day. You're going to sweep them clean and make them ready for the new grain to come in so that mold and mites don't um, attack the grain. Those who've, who farm or have farmed know about that. And he was like, Lord, but I'm called to be the farm manager. And, and Jesus revealed to him and says, I am as glorified as you work hard sweeping the barns as if you were preaching to a thousand or thousands of people. And I just want to say there's no difference. We are ministering ourselves to the world. We are ministering to people. And he just happens to give us a job and an income and a platform and a field, whatever your field is. So whatever you do, work hard because the Lord will bless your hands. Because as we see that we're working unto him, he sees fit to know what we're ready for. And he sees fit when it's time for us to have a promotion. And maybe if you're struggling to get a promotion, maybe God wants to just take an attitude check. What are you viewing this workplace as? Are you viewing it as lesser? But your workplace is in the kingdom of God. And he wants to work with you. And he wants you to work with all your heart as though you were doing it for the audience of one. Jesus himself. And so he wants to be your colleague. He wants to work with you. You see, Jesus, when he went up to the temple when he was a boy, his mum and dad lost him. And Jesus' answer when they found him was, well, didn't you, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? You see, the father has a business. The father has a big business in his kingdom. And we get to be business owners and colleagues with him. Do you know that? You are a colleague with him. He trusts you to steward everything, whether it's the environment, whether it's resources. You know, he is asking you to take care of his world, to take care of his little ones that don't know him. And as we begin to see that God has given us our own city of Lafayette and Boulder and Denver and this whole area, that he has given you stewardship with him so that we begin to bless our city. We speak blessing over our city. We receive that city as though it's, this, it's, it's going to be redeemed and it's going to be one of God's cities in the, the end of the age. This, the, this city would become a place of renown. That it would be a habitation for God's presence. You know, when we worship and we provide an altar up to Jesus, we are preparing this city for him to return to. He's, we're working with him in rest. Yes, because as we become sons, one of those words for adoption that I didn't mention is um, 
two Greek words, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'll probably butcher it, but huithes, I can't remember. Anyway, but it's just coming back to me. But the, the word means that when we're adopted, we are put into a literal and figurative position of rest. Literally, we are laid down. Because Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you'll not see the kingdom. And that sonship journey is that we become like little children and we can lie and rest and we're helpless and we're, we need the provision from our Father to take care of us. It's complete dependence on Him. And as we grow in the kingdom, we actually realize we need a greater dependence on the resources of heaven. We realize as colleagues, okay, you are the big business owner. You are the CEO of all the businesses. And therefore, I'm just joining your company and I'm going to be like a little child. You know, little children who go to their daddy and mummy's workplaces, they don't really, really know what the business is all about. They just, they just turn up and they do their coloring on, the, on daddy and mummy's desk and they think that's great. But he's saying, I want you to be with me. I want you to get younger in your approach so you can begin to believe me for big things. You see, when every three-year-old child... They don't, they're not worried about their next meal. They're not worried about whether their diaper's going to get changed or not, you know. They're not worried about paying the mortgage, paying the bills. They're just completely trusting of their parents. And, you know, have you noticed that every little child that's three, you ask them how old they are, and they say, I'm free. They can't say they're THs. They say, I'm free. And our little niece, Zoe, because... She turns three tomorrow. And you know, there's something so special that you're actually free when you're three. You're free. You, you see that God is so big. He's your big daddy. And so when we work with him, he wants us to be like expectant children, expectant sons that like, my daddy's going to take care of me and I'm working with you. You see, the Spirit bears witness that this is true. And Romans says that if we're sons, we're also heirs. We suffer with him, but we're also glorified with him. We walk that journey of suffering and glory, suffering and glory. Trust in him. Trust in him to meet our needs. And several years ago, we were in a position of dependence on God. We had come down to Raleigh, Durham to plant our church and we needed to buy a building and it was during the downturn and we had, I think we had about $2,000 in our bank account and our landlords came to us, this was our first building and said, We're, we want to um, sell the building but we give you first refusal and we were like, okay and this landlord was Jewish, atheist his family had left Russia and he'd lost some of his family in the Holocaust. And so he was still angry towards God and considered himself an atheist Jew. And so we said, okay, we're gonna buy your we're gonna buy the building. And he said, Well, you've got three months to come up with this. And Duncan said to him, my husband, Well, we're gonna show you that. Yeshua HaMashiach, your Messiah that you don't believe in, is going to pay for our building. 
He says, well, I don't care how it happens. You can't have the building until you pay me the money. Okay. So at that point, we had a choice. Okay, Daddy, we're in your business. This is your church. We've given this church, and the church is not the building. The church is the people. We've given this to you. This is your ministry. It's your church. And so it's your church. Will you pay for your building that we need? Do you get it, you see? If you take ownership of your bills and your possessions then you are responsible to pay for the bills. If you say, everything I have belongs to you, and I am stewarding the income, the resources, the wealth, the assets that you're given to me, then you can ask God to take care of his bills. And this is a different mind shift that I just want to teach you on. Because if you see that every month with your rent, your mortgage, your car payments, you say, thank you, God, that I get to drive this car that you've given me. Thank you, God, that I'm driving your car. Thank you, God, that I'm flying in your, your airplane today, in my private jet, belonging to my daddy. Thank you, American Airlines. But if you see that everything you have is just stewarding, not ownership, not holding on, holding loosely, then God will trust you and allow finances and wealth and generosity to come through you. And so we said, God, you've got to pay for your building. It's your ministry. It's your church. These are your people in your city. And so we began to thank God. And I won't go into the depths of the story, but God told my husband, stop begging me for the money. Just reach up into heaven and receive all that you need and put it into the bank account of Catch the Fire, Raleigh, and it's done. And if you keep praying, it will be, as the Word of God says, there's a passage in the Bible that says, your prayers are like unbelief. Because all God is looking for is faith in Him to accomplish what He needs. This is what I'm talking about, about being a co-worker. You're working with Him, doing it His way, His way, His principles. And so... It happened that Duncan and his brother were going on a missions trip to West Africa where they were going to be away for three weeks taking food to our church planters over there that were walking in famine and desperately needed um, funds to buy food. And so we've got this impossible situation of buying this building for $1.4 million and we've got to take money to feed our church plants planters who were nomadic tribes people and so we we were in an impossible situation we had three months to to raise money he was going off so there was no fundraising there was no campaign marketing campaign all there was was God you are the God of the impossible and you move the best when there's an impossible situation in my life and some of you need to hear this. If you are in an impossible situation, God moves the best in that place of impossibility. 
And so he goes off to Africa, and um, I'm left making the decision that we had to sign away $15,000 as a down payment. We'd already given um, for the rent deposit 50000 We needed to give 15 more to give the deposit. Whether we were going to raise the money or not, we would lose that money. So we scraped 15000 together from our 2000 because we knew that God, it was God's bank account, and God came through, we got that money, and our team were like, no, I think we've come to the end of the road, we need a new building, we need to look elsewhere. And we were like, no, God's going to do it. We went to eight banks, and they declined us. We weren't old enough as a church, we had no credit rating. You know how that silly game goes, if you don't have a credit rating. And... Um, and so we were like, well, that's it then. It's you or not. It's do or die. We're all in Jesus. If you come through, then we know. Ten days later, after they get home from their three-week trip, we receive a check in the mail, anonymous. And it had so many zeros on it, we were just stunned. $1.3 million, anonymous. Yes, thank you, Jesus. But what really got our attention was there was a little letter, you know, those printed out checks with a little letter. The letter said, it was addressed to my husband, Catch the Fire Ministries, 922 Leesville Road, Raleigh, North Carolina. Dear colleague, Please find enclosed a check for $1.3 million to do with as you see fit. Duncan went, oh, I like this colleague. <laughs> and he began to realize that I was a colleague with Jesus. We were colleagues with him. He saw us as his co-workers, his colleagues. A few days later, another $100,000 anonymous check came in the mail. We were like, you are so good. We were a church of 150 people. There was no way we were going to raise that. We didn't have wealthy, you know, trust fund owners in our church. We, we just knew that God knew who those people were. And he put it on the heart of some people to donate to us. And we have never known to this day who they were. Because we know that Jesus is our colleague. The Father, it's his business. It's his bill, his will, his bill. He pays for it. And we learned an important lesson that we, when we realize that everything that God has called us to do is his will for our life, then he's going to pay the bill. And so we, as a 150 church, managed to raise the other. We did this huge heave offering, and it was as though 150 people had given 1.4 million. And we even had a surplus to do some renovations on the air conditioning and whatever we needed there. And then we got to a point, like three years later, we had a wonderful conference, and we were like, wow, it was so good, but... Oh my goodness, our walls feel like they're too small. We feel like our building's small. Jesus, dare we even ask you for anything more? You've blessed us. We're debt-free with this building. 
but would you give us a bigger building? Can, can we ask you, Jesus? And within a week, we get a phone call from a godly kingdom business couple who had built this worship center. And they'd been very clear, it's not for a church, it's for the region, it's for revival, and no church is going to use it unless we give you permission. But nobody's using it on a Sunday. They turned around and they said, we've been praying. And the Holy Spirit has told us, we have to give you our building. And we always knew we would. But he said, now is the time. And so we upgraded into this bigger building. He didn't provide the extra money. We, we basically got a, a building that was worth nearly 10 million for 3.5. And we sold our other for two. And we took on a loan. And that was a miracle how we begin to get a relationship with a, a local bank. But why am I telling you this? Because our dreams are never big enough in God. We expect him to provide for us according to our thinking, not according to what he's thinking for our lives. And he's inviting us as we mature to step up to a higher level. When we checked in on Thursday in our hotel, Christy and Hannah were on level three in the hotel and I was on two and I said, I said to the, the, the manager at the desk, front desk, can, can, I, can I go up another level? I, I want to go to a higher level. And I just heard the Holy Spirit saying, he is wanting to take us up to a higher level. We're not going to be in the basement as children who don't know what they're called to. You see, my husband, when he was born into his father's family, he didn't realize that his father's grandfather had created a business of, of dairying and farming that became very successful in the UK. He didn't know any of that. He didn't know that there was a family business. And as he matured as a man, his dad invited him into the farm business with him. Are you ready and mature enough for the challenge that God wants to bring you into his business, the father's business? Because as he takes us to that place, we begin to re realize the level four, level four stage of maturity is that we're actually called to rule and reign with Christ. You know, he's raised us up in Christ in the heavenly places. He's actually already taken us higher. But we don't often live high. We live according to our soul and our emotions and what our body's telling us and what the, the facts. But he's actually saying, no, in my spirit, I've already raised you up in Christ Jesus and seated you at the right hand of the Father. You've been seated next to the throne of God. He's called you to a higher place already. Are you ready to take on the responsibility? Because privilege, with great privilege comes great responsibility. And he's looking for his sons and daughters who have matured. You see, Jesus prayed the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus was teaching us how to pray. That when we pray, we say, your kingdom come in our lives. All that you've planned for your business on, on this earth in the kingdom may be done in my life today. May I step into that place where I'm beginning to be the solution to what you want to see in this beautiful city that you want to see transformed hearts and lives where you want the light and the fire of the gospel to draw people to himself. That is what he's seeing over you. Genesis 1, the original mandate to Adam and Eve was to go forth and multiply and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. We were made to be kings with the king of kings himself. Not the big K, but the little K kings. We have been called to be kings, to have dominion over our circumstances, over our lives, over our families, to walk in the spirit. You know, it says, those that are sons of God are led by the spirit of God. You're led. That means you're always moving. I said this at the beginning. We're being taken somewhere. Glory to glory. And he is saying it's time that we would begin to reign in life, that we would no longer be seen as victims, that we would be the head and not the tail, that we would know who we're called to be, that we would, we would have dominion not over people, that we wouldn't control people but we would control our worlds, shift our own atmospheres. If you're not seeing breakthrough, keep pressing in. Don't give up. Don't think that the Lord's against you. Begin to realize, no, I've got to, I've got to win this war in the secret place. I've got to win the war where I begin to live in the experience of the fullness of a son of God. John the Baptist he, was, he, he declared the kingdom, but Jesus said in Matthew 11, from John the Baptist until now, the kingdom is advancing and, and the violent take it by force. You know, there's a violence, not that we're violent physically, but we're violent against the dominion of darkness and all that the devil has done to steal, kill and rob. You know, we don't start fighting the devil on our own. We, we say, Jesus, thank you that you've already f f um, won the war. You've conquered sin. And we say, Father, thank you that you've taken care of every demon and every principality. And we, we ask you, you take care of it. You dethrone it. We don't open our hearts up to the attack of the enemy. We ask Jesus to take care of all that. But the violent taken by force... And we take it. You see, kings, I, I was born in England and we have a royal family in England. We know that Prince William is next in, in line to the throne. He's going to be the king of England and the king of the Commonwealth. You know, kings rule by agreement and declarations. They can make decrees as kings. You know, you're reading in, in the Old Testament, the kings had so much power. They spoke and they were advised by prophets or otherwise, and they were good or bad depending on who they were, right? But kings have authority. 
kings walk knowing that they've got all their staff and all their armies with them. You know that we have the angel armies, we have ministering angels to serve us. You know, there's, there's an angel that's been assigned to catch the fire boulder. Do you know that? And, and we thank you, Father, for the angel because in Revelation, he talks about the angel assigned to the seven churches in Revelation. And so there is an angel assigned to this church to accomplish what God has called. And we invite even the, the angel of harvest to come here that you would help in the harvest fields of this region and that you would begin to draw the sons and daughters. And as kings, we can ask the Father to release the ministering spirits so that they would be the reapers of the harvest alongside us where it becomes easy in his kingdom. And they, they do decrees and they make agreements. Matthew 18 says... Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Are you listening? If two or three agree about anything, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And also, the scripture that says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. That's another, another one of the gospels. What, I give you the keys of the kingdom. You have been given the keys of the kingdom. And so we can be in agreement. So if you are needing something in your life, the Father will go to work for you if two or three are in agreement. And that's why it's so important as husbands and wives that we come into agreement with one another. That's why the, the enemy is trying to bring division in our marriage, division in our leadership, division in our workplaces. Because if we agree, we can ask our Father and he will do anything for us. You see, you need to know who you are if you're going to start believing that sort of thing. You see, when we needed that building, we began to agree together that God was going to do it. He was going to provide the money even when the bank said no, when the, the situation looked impossible. And you see, kings also make decrees and declarations. It says in Job 22, 28, you will declare a thing and it will be established. You will decree a thing, it will be established so that light will shine on your ways. The light of God will shine on your ways when you dec decree and declare something. And so today, before we leave, we have an opportunity as sons and daughters born into that royal family where we go from knowing who we are, we go knowing who we are, not just sons, knowing that we have a big daddy and we s stay on his lap and we go, oh, you're my daddy, you're my daddy. But he says, no, it's time to mature. It's time to step forward and become all that you are called to be. You see, it's time now for every person in this room to become the person of influence that you have been called to be. Not just look into your pastor or your leaders to, to be the old singing. It's time for every single person to bring who they are and say, who have you created me to be and what have you created me to 
to be in your family, in your family business. Because you have been called into a greater place of friendship and colleagueship and then ultimately rulership, where you can start commanding the weather to change, whether you can start looking at the news and, and commanding things to stop in Jesus' name. Because we are in him, we carry his name. You know, he's given us a ring, which is like the royal crest, it's like the credit card of heaven. He gives us a stamp and he says, I've given it you. This is my guarantee to you that I will back up everything. And so today we're going to step out in faith because we are sons of God called by faith, in faith, to move forward. And faith always requires action. Do you know that? Faith without works is dead. So I want everyone to stand in this room because I know that you've got needs. I know that some of you need to start using your voice and making declarations and decrees where you begin to... Come into that place that you're being invited into today, where you are truly sons with inheritance. You've already been given the full package. The firstborn child gets the biggest inheritance. And that's you and I today. We've been given the biggest inheritance through Christ Jesus. He's paid for it all for us. He's He's paying our bills. He's, he's taking care of us. You know, some of you are believing. Some of you are believing for lost relatives, sons and daughters. Some of you have been praying for years for different family members to get saved. Some of you have been believing God that you could actually buy your own home for the first time. Some of you have been believing God that He would give you a job that would provide for your family. What is it that you've been asking the Lord? And it probably feels like an impossible situation to you. Well, I've got good news today. God is the God of the impossible. And He wants to know whether you will walk with Him and you will partner with Him. And you will begin to call those things that are not as though they are. That you begin to see the fulfillment of that, that vision. And so right now we're going to use our voice because as we speak... The Holy Spirit goes on our words and goes to work for us. You see, when we began to ask God for that building, as that song says that you're always working, you know, as we speak, it's like He carries those words on the wind and He starts working for us and He says it will be done. You see, we have ministered and believed in agreement with many couples around the world who've been barren and not been able to have children. And they've had children from that day because we've agreed that it would be done by our Father in heaven. And it wasn't that we were any spe more special, but what happened was those couples who had lost hope began to believe that the Word of God was true for their life. And as their faith began to rise to His, they began to see the breakthrough and babies have been born all over the world. And so anyone listening as well, if, if any of you have got a need right now, we're going to start. I want you, husband and wife, if you can together, what are you believing God for? If not, just do it with a, an, another friend in the room. 
Whatever you agree for today, what are you agreeing for today? Speak it out. What is it that you're asking God to do in your life? Decree it, declare it. I decree today that I will be debt free, that you will get my credit card debt out. I decree today that I will be prosperous. I decree, decree today, I declare that you will make a way for me to get my first home. I decree today that healing comes to my family and salvation comes to my son or daughter. Begin to speak it out, begin to speak it out. And we thank you, Father. We ask that you take us, you take our words very seriously and you go to work for us. We love you, Father. We love you, Father. We thank you that you've called us to be your sons and daughters with inheritance and promise. And we trust you now, Lord. We trust you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We decree a thing.